just to recap, um, as, as always, uh, if, if you take anything away um, as you're, you're kind of looking at, the, at this book and trying to understand wh- what it says or how it speaks to us, uh, there are really two principles or two things uh, that you need to remember. One is, be holy as I am holy. And then, uh, holiness is weird in this book, right? Being separate uh, is, is strange. It looks very different from the culture. Um, it's kind of uh, fortuitous that, that we got to the, the dietary laws this week because um, earlier uh, this week I read a book um, called Eat Like a Human. I don't know why I've been on a kick where I'm reading uh, books that are, they're not about diets, but about like e- eating um, and how food gets to the grocery store, stuff like that. Uh, I don't know why. It's just it's, uh, suddenly uh, these are books I'm reading. Um, and this guy, uh, he... Uh, I believe his name is Eric Schneider, um, and the book is called Eat Like a Human. I don't recommend it. It's not good. Uh, there's nothing like wrong with it, but um, he um, has all of these ideas about like uh, e- eating in what he calls ancestral food ways. So like uh, foraging is a big part of his like you know go out and find gre- uh, wild greens and and you know that kind of thing uh, out in woods and eat them or mushrooms. Uh, is a big part of his uh, his proposed diet, but he kind of goes through, and each chapter it got weirder and weirder as I was going. I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, foraging might be okay, you know, that's that's all right, that's kind of interesting. And then the next chapter he was suggesting, uh, you know, we really don't eat enough organ meat. And then the next chapter he was saying, uh, well, you know, we really gotta. Uh, uh, you, you should uh, maybe we should all start eating insects. And then the next chapter he says. Uh, you know, people uh, in other countries, sometimes they'll eat clay or dirt with their food because it helps them prod. And I'm like, this guy is a crazy person as I'm going along. Uh, but, I, but I never stop reading a book, uh, especially if I'm halfway through. So I kept reading it um, until I got all the way to the end. Um, and I, I was thinking about that as I uh, read the passages that we're going to read tonight about kind of the dietary laws. I think there's a lot of... Uh, uh, when you ask somebody about Leviticus, this is one of the one of the passages that they remember because it's it's the kosher passage, right? It tells Jewish people how to eat, um, and they they still follow many of these laws. So we're, we're going to talk broadly about uh, the holiness rules for purity and impurity, um, and then we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to like drill down into Leviticus 11, and we won't read all uh, all five chapters, uh, 11 through 15, but or through four, yeah through 15. But we'll talk about them briefly. So real quick, um, I, I want you to remember as we go through uh, this this part of Leviticus that is about cleanliness. Um, that what we're talking about here is being ceremonially clean, right? To, to go into the congregation and worship, they had to be in a state of ritual purity. Uh, and when we read through these chapters, or when you read through these chapters, what you're getting is a description of uh, how to be ritually clean so that you can be with everybody else and worship God, so that you can enter into God's presence, right? The, the, uh, the first week I taught this this book, I talked about the concept of sacred space, right? The idea that in order to, to be in the presence of God, you have to, um, you have to be ritually clean and you have to, you have to go in uh, and, uh, 
have to be in a certain state from a ritual or ceremonial perspective. It doesn't have anything to do with your heart. You can go commit an intentional sin, and if it's not a sin that makes you ritually impure, you're allowed to enter in. You shouldn't, but you're allowed to, right? Um, so the, the distinction here between uh, being clean versus committing sin, the, the things that are in these chapters uh, are not, uh, not the same thing as committing sin, right? So uh, you're going to see like, uh, uh, I don't know, can, actually, if you can go to the, the four major categories slide. So there are four major categories here, clean and unclean food, childbirth, skin diseases and molds, uh, and bodily discharges, right? Those are the four things that make you ritually unclean. Um, and if you do any of them, you'll see there's a prescribed way. You, you do a sacrifice, you, um, you do certain things, and suddenly you are okay. You can enter into the presence uh, uh, with the congregation of the Lord, and you can worship. Um, the, uh, and, and notice that none of the, like it's not a sin to have a skin disease, Right or uh, to have mold on your clothes, uh, which is weird, right? Like, how's that apply to us? Uh, it's it's not a sin uh, to to have a child, but there's this this complex system of of ritual purity that you have to go through. When we get to chapters um, uh, beginning in chapter 18 through like 21, we're going to have a long discussion of like actual moral sin. Like, these are the things that you do that are wrong that God doesn't like. Um, so if, if you could go back, Richard, I'm sorry. He's going to do it. I know he is. I, I believe in you, Richard. Okay. So we talked about those four major categories. And I, I uh, don't know quite how much to read, but um, we're going to take a sample. We're going to read all of chapter 11 and then take a sam- in a moment, we'll take a sampling of chapter 12, and, and hopefully that will kind of stand in for all of these other categories, because um, I, I just don't want to read about skin disease for, uh, to, you know, 20 minutes. So let's go to chapter 12, if we could. Uh, and it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. According to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So they'll have his, his uh, circumcision. I don't know what I was just doing there. They'll have his circumcision. Uh, they'll have his circumcision. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. So forty total days. Uh, She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, uh, or a little girl, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying threescore and six days. So, eighty days. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest. So uh, I do want to pause here because this is called a sin offering. It is better if you think of it as a purification offering because that's what it means. Uh, it, it, it becomes, uh, our, our, our translation is not incorrect. 
but it, it does not really say what it's for, right? When we, uh, when we think of it as a sin offering, we think, oh, you did something wrong, and this is an offering to make it right. And that's not the sense in which, what, in which it's meant. And that's not what the Hebrew words that equal that, that translation mean. It means it's a purification offering. You were going in and you were making yourself pure. So, um, verse 7, Who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her? And she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. And if she be not, and if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two pigeons, two young pigeons, the one for burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Um, and then uh, in uh, chapter 12, or chapter, chapters 13 through 15 go through a complicated series of uh, things that the priest is to do to diagnose what our translation calls leprosy, um, but is, is probably any kind of skin disease that you might have. Uh, and I, I won't read through it because there's like an entire, like you come and then the priest looks at it and if it's white and there's hair that's coming out of it that's white, he does something. And then if it's black, he does something different. And just it's very complex. But the point is, there's a whole system of things that you have to do after you've recovered uh, to become ritually pure, to, to enter with the congregation into the tabernacle and worship again. Uh, and then the, the, the last one, bodily discharges, um, which I'm sure you're all uh, wanting to read, uh, it has to do uh, with, um, with a woman's monthly courses uh, and with uh, a man's nocturnal emissions. Uh, and uh, it talks about how that makes you unclean uh, and you have to go through this purification uh, to make it all right again. And you may say, well, why is any of this important for us? Um, and the answer is, it's part of the story of the Bible, right? And it's directed uh, at the children of Israel in a particular time, at a particular place, when God was carving them out as a peculiar people, different from every other people around them. Uh, and, and that fact alone makes it important, right? God, it, it was important to God that they do these things, or at least understand that they should, so that they could become different than the people around them. Um, and so, uh, just really quickly, um, what, what those four categories tell us uh, is, and it's almost impossible to get into the head of a, um, it's almost impossible to get into the head of an Israelite and understand why certain, like, uh, I don't know, I had a coworker once who did not like white food. And it didn't matter what, yeah, like sour cream or milk or it, it doesn't, uh, parsnips. It didn't matter what category it fell into. She did not like food that was white. Um, and I, I never understood like, well, why? like a parsnip's totally different than sour cream or yogurt or, right? So why are both of them equally gross to you? Um, I could never fit myself in her head to understand that. In the same way, to the Israelites, some, some things were just gross. Um, and like to get yourself in their head and try to understand why that is, is, is darn near impossible. Um, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do our best. Um, as far as we can tell, the, the reason 
uh, that or the thing that ties all of these things together is um, that they point uh, their absence points to a lack of wholeness. And let me explain that. Uh, when uh, so to an ancient Israelite or even uh, any person in the ancient Near East, uh, if you were um, If you had suffered a, 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 the loss of a massive quantity of blood or life-giving fluid, you were not whole. Uh, and God is always whole. So to enter into God's presence, you have to purify yourself and become whole again. Now you might say, well, it's totally natural for a woman to give birth. Like, why does that make her unclean? Um, it's, it's about the life that is contained in the, in their mindset, is contained in the blood. Uh, and so when somebody loses blood, uh, to them that's like, whoa, God, God doesn't like that. You can't just barge into his presence uh, and not be whole as he is whole. Um, I think I have a, this, this, ah, there we go. So those symbolic practices, they remind God, Israel of God's holy presence, right? Um, because God is the author of life, things that are connected with death, so bodies, skin disease, blood, bodily fluid, they create this symbolic impurity. So being impure is not a sin, uh, but charging into God's presence in a state of, or barging into God's presence in a state of impurity is like a negative act. You shouldn't do it. Um, how does this apply to us? Well, it doesn't, right? Not, not in the sense that we have to do all of these all of these things to make ourselves purified. Like Christ's blood has washed us once for all, um, which I thank God for. Um, but um, th these things were God's way of saying to the Israelites, you must be disciplined. You must, you must be holy as I am holy. And the, the things I'm connecting up for you uh, are... They're a way of both honoring me uh, and of being apart from the people around you. So let's go back uh, and look at chapter 11, the dietary laws. Uh, and these will be fun, maybe. <laughs> now, no, notice these, these laws only talk about meat, right? Or only talk about eating uh, other creatures. There's no dietary laws about, uh, you know, you can't like certain types of wheat or grass or fruit or vegetables or whatever, nothing like that. It's, it's all about uh, what you can eat and not eat that comes from the animal world. Uh, chapter 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which you shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof and is cloven-footed uh, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Nevertheless, shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof, as the camel, because he cheweth the cud and divideth the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the coney, which is like a rock badger, uh, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean to you. And the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, cloven yet... He cheweth not the cud. He is unclean to you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean unto you. So, immediately I want you to notice uh, a few things as we go here, go through here. One, that like our 
way of classifying animals is very scientific, right? Like we think of like taxonomies and say, well, you know, this animal's related to this animal. It's, it's a primate, right? Uh, so primates are like apes, monkeys, chimpanzees, whatever, you know, and it's, it's a fish and here's, you know, we have a whole, it's a carp or a, you know, whatever. We recognize animals as being fundamentally related to one another in some genetic way. Well, the Israelites didn't have that, that uh, conception. We're living in a pre-scientific age. So they, they thought of things, uh, one, through their environment, uh, and then two, how they move through their environment. So you see things like uh, they, everything that lives in the sea is a fish, regardless of whether it's, it weighs 7 billion tons uh, or is, it is a minnow. Um, it, if, um, if it lives in the air, it's a bird. Uh, and it, it, like when we, get through the, when we read through this, you'll see that a bat is classified as a bird. Well, a bat's not a bird, right? Like in our, our modern way of thinking, thinking through these things. But to them, it was about where does it live and how does it move through the place where it lives. Uh, so you have beasts of the field, right? These are the things that help you on the farm or are domesticated. Uh, you have fish, they live in the sea. Birds live in the air, insects. Uh, you have four-pawed creatures, which may or may not be tamed, right? So like dogs. Uh, and then you have swarming things, which are like lizards and rodents. Um, so, yeah. So let's continue to read. Uh, next up, fish. Uh, These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters. Whatsoever hath fins and scales in the waters, in the seas and in the rivers, them shall ye eat. And all that have not fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers, uh, of all that move in the waters, and of any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination to you unto you. They shall be even an abomination unto you. You shall not eat of their flesh, but you shall have their carcasses in abomination. So, uh, and then let's go to verse 13. And these are they which you shall have an abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle and the ostrich and the osprey and the vulture and the kite after his kind, every raven after his kind, and the owl and the nighthawk and the cuckoo and the... Uh, hawk after his kind, and the little owl, and, and so forth. Um, let's go down to verse 21, Richard. Yet these may ye eat of every flying, creeping thing that goeth upon all four, which have legs above their feet to leap withal upon the earth. Even these of them ye may eat, the locust after his kind, and the bald locust after his kind, and the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind. So you can eat grasshoppers if you really want to. Um, I, I do not. Um, so verses 24 through 28 uh, say what happens when you touch an unclean beast, which is that you yourself become unclean. Verse 29, these, all shall, these also shall be unclean unto you among the creeping things that creep upon the earth, the weasel and the mouse and the tortoise after his kind, uh, and the ferret and the chameleon and the lizard and the snail and the mole. These are unclean to you among all the creep. Uh, look here. Uh, so there's this interesting section of, trying to find it, so uh, let's go to verse 32. And upon whatsoever any of them, when they are dead, doth fall, it shall be unclean, whether it be any vessel of wood or raiment or skin or sack, whatsoever vessel it be, wherein any work is done, it must be put into water, and it shall be unclean until, until the even, so it shall be cleansed. 
and every earthen vessel where, where, whereinto any of them falleth, whatsoever is in it shall be unclean, and, shall, and ye shall break it. So what happens if a Jewish person today finds a, um, a dead mouse under their stove right, or their refrigerator? Do they just get rid of their refrigerator? Or their, I, I, I looked that up because that stuck out at me as being like, if it makes everything unclean that it touches, then how do you, one, how do you get rid of it? But two, what do you do? Um, and there are a bunch of very interesting like, r- like rabbis writing about like, whether you need to get rid of your stove or not. Uh, I thought that was very interesting because um, right, I mean, ha- mice get in your house sometimes. Uh, and it's, it's one thing to throw away an earthenware vessel, but it's another to get rid of your KitchenAid stove. So anyway, uh, I'm going with the guys who say, uh, just, just, clean, just, just get rid of the mouse and vacuum under there real good. Um, I'm going with those guys. Uh, yeah. Um, so let's go to 44. Sorry. So he says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beasts and the fowl, and of every living creature that moveth in the waters, and of every cre- creature that creepeth upon the earth, to make a difference between the unclean and the, un- and, the- and the clean, and between the beasts that may be eaten and the beasts that may not be eaten. So, uh, to us, a very strange passage, I think. Um, and I guess I want to say a few things about it. Um, first of all, um, I, I think uh, that almost certainly some of these things were built into their culture anyway. Like, think about uh, the revulsion I felt when I read the book, I was, the stupid book I was talking about earlier, where it said, hey, maybe you should eat ash or charcoal with your food. And I thought, that's, What? Why, why, would you, why would you do that? Um, some of this is built in, right? Like uh, in uh, Japan and China, uh, in the 18th century especially, uh, when they learned that people uh, from Europe drank uh, animal milk, so milk from cows or goats, um, it, the, they felt a revulsion that was similar to what what you or I might feel if we saw somebody eating a, a cricket or a grasshopper. Um, so it, some of this is cultural, right? Some of it's baked into like what uh, people in the ancient Near East thought at the time, um, and they, um, uh, you know, they felt a lot of the same things that we feel. So. Like, I, don't, I, I could not be compelled by any amount of hunger to ever eat a mouse. Um, but if you, uh, if you read a history of Rome, you will see that honeyed dormice were a, a, a great delicacy there. Um, things don't, yeah, I know, it's, it's pretty gross. Um, take a lot of honey. Uh, so um, it, it, cultural things exist across time, or, you know, are... are they're just baked into whatever culture we're talking about. So there's some of that going on here too. Um, but like when we get to this, we often wonder, why does this exist? Why is God telling them this? Uh, and there have been a few different uh, kind of proposals for that. One of them that you will hear occasionally is that uh, God is like the great microbiologist, and this is the, what he's telling them not to eat is unhealthy for them so that 
he's like giving them guidance about it. Uh, I don't, that doesn't strike me as particularly compelling. And the reason for that is that um, like you can get sick from, from beef, right? And that, that's like the top tier stuff that is, you're allowed to eat in here or goat or, uh, you know, what, there are a variety of things in here that you, if you don't cook them right, uh, you're in for a, a bad night. Um, and that's, right, God doesn't, it would be a lot more useful if God was like, cook your food until it is, <laughs> until it's 165 degrees internal temperature. Uh, or, you know, until the, till the juice runs clear, whatever the, the cookbooks say. But he doesn't say that. There's no place in the Bible that is a, like a general health program uh, or a social health program that says, um, hey guys, uh, wash your hands before you eat. Or maybe don't all eat out of the same bowl, because they did. Um, it's, right, that, that would be a whole lot more useful than don't eat bats. Um, but uh, there's nothing like that. And in fact, two chapters ago, uh, right, Aaron and, and Moses were in the tabernacle just spraying blood all over, <laughs> all over the place, uh, which we know is not hygienic, right? Like we're, you know, we live in an age where we're very conscious of this. Um, I, I don't know, when I reread that, that passage about Moses and, and Aaron painting the inside of the tabernacle, the, the altar and different parts of it with blood, I thought, man, the past is another country. Um, I, I would not make it. Um, I'd be like, are, are you guys crazy? It's <laughs> like you're going to get sick. It's weird. Uh, so um, that's... Uh, that, that health reason, that can't be why. Um, and like, it's not like God doesn't know about microbiology. He made it. But um, that, that's not the reason that, that they're given these rules. Um, and also, the, the other thing, we'll talk in a minute about how later on God removes these dietary rules, right? They no longer apply. And, and I mean, God doesn't care less about us now than he did about the Jews. It's not like, go ahead and eat undercooked pork and get trichinosis. It, it's fine, Christians, go ahead. The Jews, it wasn't for them, but... So, um, Richard, can you go one ahead? Thank you. Um, so, uh, I, the, the other uh, reasons that get brought up, one is a cultic reason, uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, that's it's not my outline, but... Um, the idea is that none of these things that are considered unclean are okay to sacrifice to God. Um, and if it's not good enough for God, then it's not good enough for you. Um, which has a certain attraction to me. Also, there's some, uh, especially pork, uh, there is some evidence that the cultures around the Israelites sacrificed pigs. Um, as part of what they did, the, the Carthaginians... Uh, who were uh, a great rival of Rome from 5 to 400 BC or so, uh, there is a lot of evidence that they used pigs in their, uh, their rituals. And they were the, um, so the Philistines uh, and the cities of Tyre and Sidon on the, on the west coast of, of Israel, uh, they're all kind of the same people group. And there's a lot of evidence that they sacrificed pigs. Uh, and so maybe what's going on here is, is God saying, well, don't, don't be like them. Um, don't eat pigs. Don't, don't say, I don't, I don't want any. 
uh, let them run out there in the, the wilds. Um, and so with, with the Carthaginians, also the, the sacrifice of pigs was some, sometimes associated with child sacrifice uh, of people uh, as well. And so the idea is, like, don't, don't be like them at all. One thing leads to another. Uh, kind of interestingly, the, the Romans used to say... Uh, I'm sorry, this is, I'm just fascinated by this, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. There was a, um, a Roman senator, uh, Pliny the Elder, um, who would, uh, after every speech that he gave, uh, regardless of uh, what the subject matter was, so if it was a bill for appropriations to fix the sewers or something, he would say, and in conclusion, Carthage must be destroyed didn't matter what the, like, he hated them so much, every, like, every, every pronouncement he made ended with, Carthage has to be destroyed. Uh, and they said, uh, the Romans said for many years that the Carthaginians sacrificed their children. And uh, modern archaeologists said, no, that's not true, that's just Roman propaganda. Um, and then they, they dug up Carthage and found all kinds of, of infant bones in the temple. Uh, so the, the, the Romans were right. Uh, they did nothing wrong. Well, at least not with respect to Carthage. So anyway, the, the idea is uh, that there's like this cultic reason to avoid all these unclean animals uh, because it, it leads to being like the cultures around them. Um, so the, the, the real reason, I think, uh, is that every meal... Right? That there's nothing you do other than breathing, um, which isn't regulated in, Levit- in Leviticus. There's nothing that you do that you do more frequently than, than eating. Right? And when you have this kind of structure around what you can and cannot eat, you, it brings to mind the way that you are separate from the people around you, the way that you are different. And it brings to their mind the way that you are different when they see you. Uh, and I think that's the idea. Um, so application in the, the New Testament, I have three more passages I want to read here. Um, th- this, to me, um, is uh, the best proof that uh, although Leviticus is an important part of our biblical story uh, because it tells us what existed out there in the wilderness um, with the children of Israel, uh, it is not for us today to follow. Go to Acts 10, 9-16. And actually, Richard, if we can start with um, verse 1 of chapter 10, I would appreciate it. I'm going to buy Richard a coffee one day. I'll read it. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. So he's what the, the New Testament, uh, he's what the, the Jewish people would have called a God-fearer. He's a Gentile who believes in, in Yahweh and the God of the Jews. Uh, he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. 
he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Can you imagine talking back to God? <laughs> like, like you're having, like, just do what, it, just do what the voice says, man. Uh, and the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, thou, thou, that call not thou common or profane. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry for Simon's house, and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Um, So we find out as we go through the chapter that Peter goes to Cornelius' house and Cornelius becomes the first convert, the first Gentile convert to Christianity. Uh, And it happens, right, because these dietary laws are removed. Um, And if we had read more deeply, we would see that one of them is that you don't eat with a Gentile. You don't share your table with a Gentile. So Peter is able to enter into and testify to this man. Um, So let's go really quickly. And Peter learned from that because we find out in 1 Peter 1 chapter 13... He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. Is that right? Am I wrong, Richard? I'm totally wrong. Ah, I'm not. Hang on. It's okay. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as, ye which hath, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Right, so Peter draws a principle from that. He says, the one who called us said to be holy, so you be holy too. And, and Peter means it in a greater sense than it's meant in Leviticus. In Leviticus, it's meant be, be clean because God is clean. He's saying, be holy in your actions and righteous in, in your inner life, because that's how God is. Let's turn really quickly, and I, I think this is the final word for me uh, on this whole question. Um, anytime somebody says, well, why don't you follow all the 
rules that are in Leviticus, like why do you wear mixed fabrics and all the stuff we're going to get into next week, tell them, look, chump, that don't work on me. And here's why. Mark 7, 18 through 3. No, yeah. Eighteen through twenty-three. So notice this is mostly red print. <laughs> and he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he right, everything that goes in has to come out. And he said, That which cometh out of the man. That defileth the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So I I could take you to Isaiah, um, where this is a very prominent issue, but Isaiah says, look, you guys are doing all the right things. You are ritually pure. You are offering up your, your midnight incense and the sacrifices and, and rituals. But God wants you to move beyond that. You're not, you're not children anymore. You need to move to a place where what's on the inside matches what's on the outside. It's not any good for you to, to bring a sacrifice and not mean it at all. Not understand what the sacrifice is for or who it's to. Um, And Christ moves even beyond that and says, it's not ritual purity or impurity that matter. It's it's what's inside of you. You are sacred space. 